It all comes down to one-on-one relationships and one-on-one interactions. That's the only way we make a change. Legislation is okay, but it really doesn't change what's in the heart and the mind. And it has to be you and I, as Lamont said, coming to a point where we see eye to eye and we agree. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to this very special edition of Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Today's episode kicks off a series of conversations we will be having on this program on the topic of race. Unrest has swept across our country in the wake of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. For many, it has raised the issue of race to a level of awareness never before seen. Personally, it has forced me to confront my own inaction. And as a company, InterVision is committed to listening, learning, taking action, and amplifying the voices of our black colleagues and peers. It is not lost on me that I am a white host representing a predominantly white company in an essentially white industry. In fact, the percentage of black people employed in the tech industry is an abysmal 8%. In order to create real sustainable change, we must start having these conversations. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable, to get out of our echo chambers, to admit we can and must do better. Today, I am joined by two tremendous leaders. Lamont Hatcher is the founder and CEO of AIS, an IT managed service provider focused on the small business space. Wayne Patrick is a serial entrepreneur and investor. He now serves as the Chief Revenue Officer for AIS. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be here. Likewise. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I appreciate you being on the show. But before we dive in, I want to ask each of you, how are you? And I really mean that. How are you? 2020 has been a year filled with chaos. How are you both doing? Lamont, let's start with you. So you are correct when you say 2020 has been a year filled with chaos because like I'm a very non-emotional person, but emotionally I've basically been all over the place, right? So from yeah, <laughs> you go from very upset to disappointed to sad to angry to more angry and then the helpless. You know, and me being an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, you know, we're pretty much control freaks, right? Which is <laughs> why we're <laughs> so for me to feel helpless, that's worse than all the other emotions combined. Yeah. Um, the good thing is that, you know, as time has passed a little bit, I'm a little bit more hopeful. Um, and that's really because of people like yourself and just the many peers, colleagues I've had that have really like reached out to learn more and encourage me and just really allow me to learn from them as well by expressing their own thoughts and perspectives. So all over the place is how I'd summarize your answer. <laughs> yeah. Th- thank you for that. Lamont. And I can definitely 
empathize and feel that. And Wayne, how about you? How are you doing? Well, I definitely can say that I echo all of the things that Lamont said as well. I tend to be a pretty focused and uh, driven person as well. And uh, I've had all of those same emotions. And in fact, Lamont and I have kind of been through that roller coaster cycle together on some occasions. So I definitely understand what he's talking about. For me, though, uh, I would say that this is sort of deja vu. As you know, I'm an older guy, seasoned, <laughs> I like to call it. Yes, and yes. I've kind of been through these kinds of scenarios, not necessarily the COVID, but the unrest and the racial stress and strife through the 60s. And the 60s were not only a time that had uh, the racial unrest, but they had Vietnam. So we kind of had the double whammy right. there again. And those were very turbulent and challenging times that caused the country to grow and move forward. And I am trying to be very hopeful and expecting that uh, the actions and events of today cause the country to do that same thing, to expand and to grow and get better and go beyond itself. And then lastly, I always look at it like this, that, you know, the last several months have been somewhat like living in the twilight zone. Absolutely no doubt about that. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But we need to remember that this too shall pass. And one day we'll all look back on this and we're going to say to ourselves, hey, Jeff, hey, Lamont, do you remember when? And we'll all laugh. (laughs) And we'll all have grown. I mean, I think think that's the point, right? We will all have grown and learned and become better for it, I think. I agree. There's many aspects of this issue that, that we could dive into, but I think there are two sides of this or two points of this that are unique to our audience of CIOs and senior IT leaders. And that is, as technology leaders, we are responsible for building, developing, and leading teams. Part of that responsibility is ensuring our teams and our broader organizations are diverse and inclusive. The other aspect is the racism and bias in the technology itself whether consciously or unconsciously, introduced into our applications via code or data. Lamont, I'd love to start with the first aspect. I know you and I have had several conversations about this, about building, developing, and leading teams. And I'd love for you to think back across your career and the teams you've been on and what has been your experience. When have you felt part of an inclusive environment and maybe share when you haven't felt a part of one. Sure. So for me, my individual experience, I've really been blessed. As I think back over the course of my career, I've been exposed to tremendous leaders. And I believe tremendous leaders really believe in diversity. So over the course of my career, I went from sports with USA Track and Field to consulting and working with Eddie Rivers, who at that time was an MBE, and then working as a CIO in an extremely diverse um, environment to owning and creating my own. So I've really been fortunate over the course of my career that I've always just about been in diverse organizations. The only time that I've ever really felt excluded would be the like conferences, seminars, et cetera, where, you know, you might go and there are 50 people in the room. 
and there are maybe two minorities. Yeah. You know, you're on opposite sides of the room, almost waving at each other, right? So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. the only time that I've really felt excluded. But I'm sure Wayne's got a totally different perspective than myself. Well, because as he mentioned, he is older. So it's that broader experience. So, so Wayne, same question to you. When have you felt included and perhaps when were you made to feel excluded? Yeah. And if you'll allow me, let me tell a couple of stories. And, you know, I'm Absolutely. a story guy. So I want to take us all the way back to the beginning. And you're right, Lamont. I've got different perspective in some ways, but a similar perspective as well. And when we get up to that point, you'll know and recognize it. So I started out as a student at Rose Holman over in Terre Haute. And for me, that was the very first time that I had been out of a quote unquote segregated environment because I grew up in segregated America. And here's the interesting experience that I had and what my introduction to that environment was. When I got there with my father, my roommate who was white and his parents were already in the room. His mother was sitting on his bed. When my father and I walked into the room, the woman literally leaped and transported herself across the room to behind her husband. She looked at her husband, she looked at her son, and she said, my son is not going to room with any in. They grabbed his stuff, walked out the room, and went down to admissions. I ended up not having a roommate for my entire freshman year. Now, let me bring it around and make it positive because it ended up being one of the best things that happened to me uh, right again by dumb luck because I ended up making some good friends and becoming uh, included as a part of the Rose family. And later on in my career, when I became an entrepreneur and started my own first business, the relationships I had with many of those guys were what enabled me to jumpstart and get my business growing faster. It also did something for me that a lot of Black Americans struggle with, which is understanding the cultural nuances of how to navigate uh, the larger society. And for me, it was cultural immersion. Uh, I didn't know how to talk to them. They didn't know how to talk to me. And we kind of learned it together. So it was one of the best things that happened to me as I look back on it. It's one of those where you say, I like where I'm at, but I don't know that I necessarily like I got here. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that feeling of, first of all, you're nervous anyway, going away to college and then to have that happen. I, that just, yeah, I, I just have never experienced anything like that. And I know, Wayne, you and I have talked several times over the last three or four weeks. And one of the things we've talked about is, although I'm an empathetic and compassionate person, it's impossible for me to truly understand what it is like to be a black man in America. However, you relate an analogy to me that I'm hoping you'll share with our audience because it really stuck with me. Would you mind sharing that analogy with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, The analogy that I share with Jeff and Lamont, I think I've uh, told you about it before, is this. Many times today what we hear is people say, well, gee, it's only a small percentage of the police or it's only a small percentage of the population that are racist or it's only a small percentage of them who don't like black people. And somehow that seems to say to them that means it's okay. 
So here's the analogy. Tomorrow, you come in, and I say to you, in the room over there, there are 100 cans. Underneath five of those cans, which is a small percentage, let's even make it three of those cans. I put enough explosives that when you pick that can up, it's going to blow you and the room up. Every day from now on, you have to walk into that room and you have to pick up one of those cans. Every night, I shuffle the cans so the three ones with the explosive under it are in a different spot. So you can't find one and always go pick that can up. Let me ask you this. When you walk in that room in the morning and go to pick up that can, how do you feel? It's a small percentage, but the potential consequences and the potential exposure are pretty great for you. And I imagine your tension level is pretty high. Yeah, that just blew me away when you when you shared that. Lamont, did you have something that you were starting to say? Sorry. No, I mean, Wayne hit it right on the nose with that. And it's funny, you went back to college. I remember being in about third or fourth grade. And, you know, I'm from the west side here in Indianapolis. And I don't know if you guys remember when they started redistricting the schools and changed to where they sent half the kids to Washington or or IPS and then the other half got sent out to Wayne to the townships. And I remember being in third or fourth grade. I never really I think that was my first time ever seeing a white person. So I remember going to school and just really being amazed that not only the school and how nice it was and everything else, but just the people and the things that they had, because I'm from the inner city. You know, I laugh. I've told you this story before, Wayne. At this time, we all got two pairs of pants and three shirts, right? So nobody's laughing at anybody because we all have the same thing. But then now they sent us out here to this township school. And they like, wait a minute, you had that shirt on earlier this week. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) It was so different. And I've just really learned so much since that time. Yeah, to to have to go through those experiences. uh, I think that's one of the things that really has struck me about our conversations is I don't have those experiences. It just brings just a little bit of understanding to the equation when you stop and and think and listen to those stories. So let's turn our attention a little bit. And But you know what, Jeff, um, before you do that, uh, let me say really quickly that it wasn't all negative. And like Lamont, I have had some positive experiences. My first experience on the job level, my first boss told me that colored people weren't smart enough to be in IT. But when I realized that I was included and a part of the NDIT community was when I got friendships and relationships with great folks like yourself, and there are many of them in the local NDIT community, and I knew that I was a member of the team and a part of the club, and I was included when white IT professionals and IT leaders started coming to me and asking me for referrals and asking me to help them network. And I knew then that I was part of the club. So it hasn't always been negative and it hasn't always been folks, you know, saying bad or horrible things. There have been a lot of positive things about it. And there are a lot of positive people in the community. Right. And and thanks for adding that in Wayne. I, I do appreciate that. 
Uh, and I tell you, you are not only a part of the IT community, sir, you are the IT community in this city. So we appreciate your, your wisdom and your insights and your experience, definitely. So Lamont, one of the things that we hear a lot, whenever we talk about diversity, whether it's gender diversity or racial diversity, is uh, especially it seems like in tech, is oh, we don't have a diverse applicant pool to draw from. That's why we haven't hired a diverse team is the, the candidates just aren't there. So you've been in the role of a hiring manager, both when you worked for someone else and now, especially as you're building your company, what advice do you have to the hiring managers in tech? What can they do to attract a more diverse candidate pool? Sure. So my advice would be to continue to do the exact same things you're doing now with a slight change. When you're looking for talent, specifically young talent, you're going to go to IU, Purdue, or if you're lucky, you know, Rose Holman, like yeah. Wayne, and try to look at that talent and see what you can gain out of there and see who you can identify with and who might be a culture fit for your organization. You do, you're doing the same things, only now you're going to add a little bit of diversity to it, right? So you look at organizations like BDPA, and you're going to go there and you'll see um, kids in high school, college, all over the country. They're majoring in STEM and very, very talented young minorities. You go over there, you meet them. Maybe you have some sort of organizational sponsorship. They'll bring the kids over to you based on what you're looking for. And now you get to form those relationships and bring them on and talk about your company. And maybe when roles open up, maybe you, you know, give them a shot at it. But it's basically the same approach, minor adjustments. So for our audience who may not be familiar, Lamont, what is the BDPA? Sure. BDPA is, stands for the Black Data Professionals of America. Awesome. Thank you. I was not aware of that organization until you introduced me to Terry Morris recently. So I've learned a bit about that. I'd encourage our listeners. And in fact, we'll put in our show notes, we'll put a link to their website. I'd encourage our listeners to check that organization out. But so part of what you're saying, if I can uh, paraphrase your words a little bit there, Lamont, is it's about intentionality, right? Mm -hmm. That you have to be intentional and you have to look where the diverse candidates are. So can right. you give some examples? You mentioned the BDPA. Uh, as you're building out your organizations, what other places have you looked to find that diverse candidate? So I would look at um, every year when you have graduating classes, there's always like the regular graduation, but then they always have the Black Student Unions or the Black Alumni Associations. I'd reach out to organizations like that, specifically any or whatever vertical or market you're in, there's always some sort of organization that allows the minorities in that specific market to network, find those organizations yeah, yeah. and don't just look them up and maybe make contact, sponsor them and do a large sponsorship with them. And that is how you gain even more exposure. And by you doing some sort of sponsorship with them, you'll draw that talent pool to you. 
Uh, that's an excellent suggestion. In some ways, though, this really has to start early, right? We've got to we've got to get uh, more black youth interested in tech. So, Wayne, do you have some thoughts on how we how we do that? How we grow the number of black youth interested in technology as a career? Absolutely, and I, I think that Lamont has actually set the basis for it there already. You need to start going where they are, being intentional to your point and doing things that encourage them at an earlier age. And one of those things that he talked about was not only the sponsorship, but being involved in organizations. And there are several other organizations like BDPA that I think you need to connect with and engage with. Uh, NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers. There's the Blacks in Tech. Uh, There's the Black Founders. There's Black Girls Code. I can go on and on. And if you like, I can come back later on and give you a list of the organizations like that. That would be excellent to put in the show notes as well. So, so yeah, if, if you don't mind providing those, those would be great. Absolutely. But at a more uh, local level, uh, get engaged and get involved with the schools where those kids go. For example, I'm on the board of a charter school, Cir- Circle City Prep, which is at 40th and Franklin Road. And it serves an at-risk, uh, primarily Black and Latino community. And we would love to have some of the local IT leaders involved in and engaged in the organization and showing and demonstrating what the options and the possibilities are. Because, you know, we all imagine and aspire to do and be the things that we see. And if we're not seeing those, we can't aspire to them. So I'd say get engaged with organizations like that. And to your earlier point, there may be some trepidation uh, with you as a white person, but I think that kids are very good about seeing through the BS. And if you are sincere, <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> who you are. Yep. Okay. And you, Jeff, are 100% sincere, so I don't think that'll be an issue for you. But I think you can also get a twofer out of this because you can engage your internal black staff that you have in that process and get them engaged so those young black students see them and see that it is possible and see someone that they can relate to and who they can identify with. And that gives you the twofer of, they not only help you identify, grow and inspire those younger kids, but it gives you a chance to see your black staff in another environment. It gives you a chance to see them and understand them better and understand them on a more personal level. And it also gets you a chance to see what they can do and how they can rise to the top and do something when given the opportunity. So I think yeah. there are several ways in there that you can help and make something happen. Absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I was actually going to ask you if the black youth really wanted to listen to some old white dude like me, uh, <laughs> or was that just me projecting my fears of walking into a situation like that. So it's comforting to hear that they do want to hear from old white dudes like me. Uh, Lamont, would you have anything to add to Wayne's thoughts about how do we gain more interest in the black youth in tech as a career? So I don't really see that as necessarily a racial issue. I think it's just industry-wide. But to Wayne's point, it starts with actively engaging more participation from those that we can hire today. And if we can bring those in and get those involved, when the younger kids see 
these kids, like Wayne said, we mimic what we see, right? So if they're seeing that, then it's it's a very easy conversation to bring more young kids into the into the field. Absolutely. And I think the other piece of that and where I think Lamont was going and part of what he's saying there is that, you know, we need to have more Terry Morris's and Tracy Barnes's and Dewan Neely's and Linda Calvin's and Curtis Taylor's and Elliot Patrick's who are in those leadership roles who they can see and who they can look at. And by the way, they are also people who, when you're trying to be intentional about recruiting, can be uh, guides for you and help you with the access and connectivity to the folks that you're looking to hire. Yeah, that's very true, especially in the roles that a lot of them, uh, a lot of the folks that you mentioned are in Correct. would be great. So I typically end each one of these podcasts with a call to action. And I'd, I'd like to spend a bit more time on this today than we typically do. I typically say, hey, what's one thing? But I'd love each of you to share your thoughts. What are some actions our listeners can do to build, develop, and lead diverse and inclusive teams? Lamont, let's go to you first. Some actions for our listeners to go do. I say it starts with first identifying talent. One person in my organization, he's a young white male, actually. I identified him. He had to be nine or 10 years old, but I stayed engaged with him all the way up through high school, all the way through college. He went into IT and now he works here and he's actually one of my best employees. And it just starts that way, right? So, but even now that he's an employee, now I'm continuing to mentor. I'm continuing to coach. I'm continuing to lead him into leadership in the organization. That's what we have to do. That's how we create change. That's excellent. Wayne, what's your advice to our listeners? What can they start doing to help learn how to build and develop these these diverse teams? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Lamont hit it so hard there and knocked it out the park, and I'm having a hard time coming up with something to, you know, <laughs> to match that because he, he rang the bell. But, well, yeah, when, when, when he's got a nine-year-old kid that he's been for, uh, for all that time, that's, that's a great story. But I think the big thing is use your influence and use your connectivity within and without the organization to – Communicate with and influence others who maybe are not as informed or aware as you are and help them to see and understand the value and the benefit of diversity and why it is important. And I think the focus really has to be on talking to those who you either hear say things or do things that show you that maybe that isn't where their heart is and they really are not on board yet. Those are the folks that you got to talk to. And and, and I think it's important for us to understand that we have to understand them. You can't convince me to change my mind with logic that resonates with your perspective. You have to understand my perspective and give me logic that resonates with my perspective. So it's the dialogue and communication with those folks who you will be able to influence and you will be able to change and who you will be able to help bring along. Yep. Yeah. That works in marriage too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) 
no doubt. <laughs> so I know we didn't get to the other unique aspect of being a leader in tech that I talked about at the outset of the show, and that is the bias in technology itself. So before we close, I'd love to get your initial thoughts on the topic. Lamont, what can we do to ensure our applications are as unbiased as possible? Well, to me, that's a, another just cut to the chase on it. And when you want more diverse applications or software, include more diversity in the teams that are actually creating it. Um, and not just from a racial perspective, you know, women as well. The more diverse your team, the better the application will be over, over time yeah. anyway. That's a great point, Lamont. If you have a diverse team, almost by extension, your application begins to have uh, to be more diverse and more inclusive as you're building it. That is great advice. Wayne, anything to add to that? Uh, how do we ensure our applications are as unbiased as possible? Well, I think I'm going to have to stop letting Lamont go first because he steals the show every time and I don't have nothing to say, man. <laughs> That's never been a problem, dude. <laughs> but uh, I, I think he's spot on. And I think going along with that, when we look to build applications, we need to include diversity in the subject set and the study set and our mm-hmm. diligence so that we aren't just having those folks involved in the build stage, but they are also involved in the design stage. Yeah, yeah. And also involved on the backside. Uh, it's kind of like the, what's the, I can't think of the guys that call you on the phone and do the, the consumer surveys, but oh, if yeah, you, don't, yeah, yeah. you don't call and talk to any of the diverse people, you're not going to get any feedback that tells you, yeah, this application is biased. So include them in the testing of the applications and the product as well. Yeah, great advice. Lamont, Wayne, this has been a fantastic conversation and I I can't tell you how much it means to me personally that you've taken the time out of your day to talk with me, to educate me, but also to educate our listeners and, and share your perspective. So thank you both so very, very much for doing this today. No. I say thank you. My thought on that is we both appreciate your desire to know more. The only way we can really understand each other is by learning and really actively listening to each other's own individual experiences and perspective. And I just appreciate that you want to use your platform to actually listen to both Wayne and I's opinions. Absolutely. And Jeff, I want to thank you as Lamont did for the opportunity to be a part of the discussion. I learned some things from you and I learned some things from Lamont and I hope the same is true for both of you. But I also want to say, and I want to emphasize to you again, that it is relationships with and interactions with good and committed people like yourself and many others that I've come to know in the NDIT community who give me hope and let me know that another better way is possible. And not only is it possible, but we are actually living it and doing it. So I thank you for being that person and for giving us this opportunity. It all comes down to one-on-one relationships and one-on-one interactions. That's the only way we make a change. Legislation is okay, but it really doesn't change what's in the heart and the mind. And it has to be you and I, as Lamont said, 
coming to a point where we see eye to eye and, and we agree. Absolutely. Well, I, I thank you for those words, both uh, Lamont and Wayne, and, and thank you again for your time. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. And I think we're going to include some links in those show notes of places where you can go to get involved and places where you can find diverse candidate pools as we've discussed today. This is Jeff Tun for Lamont Hatcher and Wayne Patrick. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.